This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. This episode is sponsored by Bright Computing. Learn how you can automate the process of building and managing Linux clusters from edge decor to cloud with a two-minute video at brightcomputing.com. Insights from the AI Hardware Summit. More epic in Rome. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening into another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in partnership with HPC Wire. I'm Addison Snell, joined again by Tiffany Trader with HPC Wire. And Tiffany, I saw you again this week at another conference, this time in my hometown of Mountain View, California, at the Computer History Museum, where we were in town for Casaco's AI Hardware Summit. This is the second time they've thrown this conference with HPC Wire and Enterprise AI as the premier media partners. This was an interesting event, two days talking about hardware dedicated for uh, the AI market. And it started with a kickoff from John Hennessy, who's now the chairman of Alphabet, but also previously from Stanford. And we know him as the guy who literally wrote the book on computer architecture. What did you think of the conference and uh, John Hennessy's talk? Yeah, wow, this was a really packed two-day two agenda held this week up at the, uh, the Computer History Museum up in Mountain View. Two days dedicated to AI hardware, particularly emerging AI for inference and inference at the edge. As you said, uh, Mr. Hennessy gave the opening keynote, and boy, he is a big proponent of AI. He he noted that AI changes every everything, and it sounds like that he believes uh, that it's living up to the to the hype. Uh, he gave uh, he gave as a as a backdrop an overview of the uh, the loss of Denard scaling and how that um, you know back in 2005 2006 how that dropped off around then has led to the the multi core era and and what what that um, has uh, eventually brought us um, with the development of of AIs as a, as a as a workaround to that. Um, you wrote an article on on that. Uh, that multi-core era topic, um, I think back in 2008 for HPC Wire. I did. It talked about cartoon physics and Wiley Coyote chasing off the cliff, and, and he doesn't fall until he looks down. We were tracking changes in computer architecture relative to application performance and seeing how application performance, delivered performance, was starting to diverge from theoretical performance and that people were compensating just by trying to cram more memory in. That has not slowed down down over the last 10 years. It's become sort of the new normal. And it really led us to a point where one of John Hennessy's main points throughout his presentation was that for this new market with AI, he was a huge advocate of what he called DSAs or domain-specific architectures. This is the notion of specialization that we should really be designing processors specific to this market. Yeah, yeah. So, it, yeah, it was a good good way to kick off. And then uh, not too long after that, we heard from a company that's been generating some buzz recently, which is Cerebrus, which has this wafer scale AI chip that they debu debuted uh, about six weeks ago back at Hot Chips that we, we talked about on a on a previous podcast. And uh, the CEO, um, um, Andrew Feldman, uh, came up and, and gave a little bit of an overview and background, kind of similar to what they talked about at Hot Chips, and then uh, broke the news that had, had come out that morning that they have a, a partnership. They have inked a partnership, a multi-year, multi-lab collaboration with the Department of Energy. And specifically, uh, it was announced that um, at this point, the partnership extends to Argonne, 
National Lab and Lawrence Livermore National Lab um, with it seems like more more to be announced. Um, these are, of course, the future home of two uh, out of two out of the three Exascale class systems that the U.S. has announced so far. So that would be Aurora at Argonne and El Capitan at Livermore. Uh, the announcement was actually pretty slim on details. Uh, Cerebrus has indicated that. Um, the, the more, more, more will be revealed, um, maybe at supercomputer in and around supercomputing. And at this point, um, they've just, they've indicated that other labs will be involved and that, uh, it's looking like it could be part of the U.S. exascale plans. Um, the, the CEO said that, uh, this, this, this partnership involves the, the, you know, the world's biggest, uh, AI chip it will be combined and integrated into the world's biggest supercomputers. So that was as, as much as he really said at this point about it. That was certainly an interesting teaser that had a lot of people buzzing with the news, the idea of Cerebrus getting this big win together with Livermore, Argonne, to start delivering AI capabilities, and even had some people I talked to conjecturing about what does that mean for the Intel XE processor as part of the Aurora system going into Argonne. I personally think that that kind of thinking is overblown. The DOE's mandate is to do a lot of proof of concept around AI, and I would still expect Intel and the XE architecture to be the dominant architecture for those systems. But if you were going to have a couple of nodes with these large wafer scale uh, chips from Cerebrus in order to try to test out what was the best and most, most scalable, most power efficient way to do certain kinds of training and AI. Yeah, sure. That's the DOE's job is help figure, <laughs> help figure that out for the rest of us and set the course for the industry. So certainly a big win for Cerebrus, but I don't think it's necessarily bad news for Intel just yet. Although really, if you go back to the AI hardware summit, there was a lot of talk around end of Moore's law, end of Denard mm -hmm. scaling. That's to be expected for me with a conference like this where the emphasis is on new silicon. Everyone's trying to justify their investment and why their new way of doing things with a so-called domain-specific architecture is the best way to do it. Some of the presentations were pretty interesting. Did you have other highlights of presentations or, or quotes that you really liked, little sound bites? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, some of the other presentations that seemed to be to, to generate buzz were uh, the company Mythic. And this is a company that's designing IPUs. Uh, I believe that's inference processing units um, that are leveraging analog computing to perform inference calculations inside of a, a flash memory array. And then there were a series of presentations on neuromorphic computing that was really, really interesting. I won't delve too much into them, but I can just, you know, give a shout out to the companies. And so they can be on everybody's radar. It was a light elegance uh, it's just an MIT spin out and this other company called Brain, Brain, uh, Brain Neuromorphic, uh, as well as Applied Brain Research, um, all doing interesting things in, in the neuromorphic space. Uh, and then there were, you know, the whole program was really good. Just some interesting panels and other, other notable keynotes as well. Uh, we heard from the head of Synopsys, um, AI and ML, uh, Thomas Anderson. And, and then we also heard from the, uh, the Cadence CEO. And I think that was a presentation that, that you liked. 
I, I did. And, you know, something in favor of the, the domain specific notion is that I, I have always preferred as an analyst talking about specific use cases over theoretical ones. Uh, for example, when cloud was hot, I found that I learned more about cloud going to bio IT world than I did going to a cloud specific summit where they were talking about cloud in general, but no application in specific. And the uh, presentation by Lip Bhutan, who's the CEO of Cadence, did that for me. It really made it very application focused uh, in the manufacturing space. And he talked about the need to deliver an entire platform solution that has to be designed for the specific applications and workloads with holistic embedded system security that transcends the entire stack. And I, I really enjoyed his perspective on what that meant for his industry. Another one I liked was Justin Patuznik, who's the senior principal engineer at Optum. He said things uh, that had to do with the usability of technology. We still need need more compute than we have now, and we need it to be easier to use. He said, don't make my data scientists learn language after language. And he also gave a really interesting uh, endorsement at the workload management level. He said, we're running Kubernetes everywhere we can stick it. This is the the workload manager of the future. So that was yeah. interesting to get that, that really specific perspective uh, uh, in terms of real deployments. Yeah, really good pickups. Well, should we uh, move on to our second story, which is, is AMD uh, was in Rome this week? That's right. While the AI Hardware Summit was going on here in Mountain View, California, AMD was in Rome for a second stage launch of their codename Rome processor, the second generation AMD Epic processor. Now, they previously launched that, but here was a, a secondary launch event where they were not only able to introduce some of the specific server platforms that were going to be supporting the AMD Epic processor, including Dell, Atos, IBM Cloud. We're going to come back to all of those, but they also had a new high-performance SKU of the AMD Epic processor that they hadn't previously launched. Yeah, that's right. So let, let's uh, let's dive into this this new SKU. This is uh this is pretty interesting for, for, for HPC folks. This is a 64-core, 280-watt, uh, the SKU name is 7H12, 7H12, which in print kind of looks like the way we abbreviate uh, fiscal quarters and financial reports. It's a little bit different than, um, doesn't doesn't follow the same naming convention as, as their other SKUs. This new part, the 7H12, um, 280 watts, 64 core, it's AMD's most power-hungry processor ever. So, uh, of course, will be primarily appearing in liquid-cooled installations. Uh, and for, for comparison, it's it's very similar to the 7742 part, the, the previous top-in part. But uh, like we said, it has this higher TDP as well as a 2.6 gigahertz base frequency up to 3.3 gigahertz uh, at max clock boost. Um, for comparison, the previous top, top part, the 7742, has a, a 225 watt default t TDP, so that's a 55 watt difference. Um, and this new SKU, of course, has uh, got a higher higher limpack with a it achieved 4.2 teraflops limpack score. I like the AMD is still leaning on performance on all of the Epic line, and its OEM partners are following suit. Dell, interestingly enough, is still not only looking at the two-socket server configurations, which have been common throughout enterprise computing as well as HPC, but also a couple of single-socket servers, which it says are, are really going to do well for certain high-performance workloads. So Dell EMC was a big launch partner here. They launched five new PowerEdge servers 
uh, targeting the enterprise and HPC space. They are they have launched two single socket servers, the R6515 and the R7515, and then three dual socket servers, the R6525, the R7525, and the C6525, all based on the, the second gen Epic Roam. Uh, we think the R, pretty sure the R stands for rack scale, and maybe the C is for converged. Uh, Dell says the C series targets scale out workloads like HPC, deep learning, and data analytics. Uh, they also announced some benchmarking results um, on that new C-series uh, part, the PowerEdge C6525, which is set to be available in October, that they announced that that had achieved 3.4 teraflops um, on the Limpack, re representing a more than 200% performance uh, upgrade compared to the, the previous um, chips. So very interesting to see Dell EMC with the five different uh, server platforms out of the PowerEdge line addressing different aspects of high-performance workloads. Meanwhile, Atos also with a clearly HPC platform up at the high end, they introduced the Bull Sequana XH2000, which is a high-end system. It has eight processor sockets in one U, so it's pretty dense and goes up to 32 blades in a rack. So this is going to be a, a very dense, very scalable AMD Epic configuration from Atos Bull. Uh, it's direct liquid cooled naturally to get that kind of density. So that's really reaching up into the supercomputing class of performance. And then maybe one of the most interesting partner announcements is that, that they've got a partnership with IBM Cloud also incorporating the AMD Epic processor, which is pretty fast. You and I were both speculating as to whether that's faster than they've even incorporated their own IBM power processors. Yeah, that's right. They're they're they announced they're an IBM Cloud uh, as well as OVH Cloud, which is a European infra infrastructure provider. Um, and we did we both picked up picked that up that they were pick, uh, quick to embrace these uh, second gen epics, um, but really um, seem to have taken taken their time putting their own Power Eight and Power Nines in their in their cloud. I'm not sure. That, I'm still not sure if they fully embrace the uh, NVLink connected servers. All right. Well, the drumbeat goes on for AMD, and I like that. I like that they're staying on that same cadence, talking about performance, really focusing on on HPC as a major target market, and uh, appreciate the news. Thanks to you for tuning in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.